You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Good evening. Today is December 5th, 2018. It's 5 p.m. Alaska Standard Time. About 21 degrees above zero outside here. How about you guys up there? Yeah, I think we were about 25 a bit ago. Uh, rather warm, yep. for sure. Outside tonight. Um, and uh, we're going to go ahead and quickly get started here. The, the um, This meeting is private. I want to give a, a warning to any agents um, representing a, any incorporated entities out there. This meeting is private bearing false witness, misrepresentation, and posting inflammatory rhetoric in public forums is forbidden and shall be addressed in an appropriate manner. To eliminate all conflict and false allegations, is there anyone in attendance on this call or to, on tonight's show that's a member or agent of any law enforcement agency or public agency of the federal, state, county, city, or township agencies present, um, either listening in electronically or actually on the call tonight? If you're here, just let us know. And based on what we can see from the call, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, Wendell. Wendell's here. All right. Good to hear you, Wendell. And that was a no. Um, I think I heard you right. Uh, I broke in. I don't know what you're you're voting on something. I'm sorry. Oh no, we were just saying if there's anybody that's a that's a secret agent on our call, let us know. And that's when oh. you broke in. So Okay, good deal. Um if if you are on this call and now I'm not talking to you, Wendell, I'm talking to the general hearing audience. If you are here by any means, um, electronic listening device or otherwise, um, in order to gather information for any incorporated entity in order to subvert us, undermine, overthrow, or otherwise destroy our lawful peaceable efforts will be pursued in your individual and personal capacity for crimes against humanity and for any harm, injury, or loss you cause to your fellow man on the private side. Tonight we're here to talk about, we're going to be talking about a treatise on arrest and false imprisonment, which is a treatise written by Charles A. Weissman. And, um, the purpose of the treatise and of our show tonight is the restoration of our understanding of the basics of what constitutes common law on arrest. And you might think, why should I care about the common law? You may at this point be thinking there is no federal common law. But I say to you, if you care about being an American, if you believe that we can make America great again, there's no greater study you can undertake than this one because this is in large part or at the very least a basic building block that has been lost to us. Um, 
one very important way we've been deprived of freedom in this country. And if we expect to be ignorant and free, we expect what never was and what never will be. If you don't know your rights, you can't enforce them, you've lost them. Your ignorance of the law is no excuse. Your ignorance of the common law on arrest puts your freedom in grave peril. So get this treatise, and I've sent it out with this show promos for tonight. Take a few hours to understand. It's going to take you three or four hours to study this 80 pages. And what we're going to do tonight is just cover some of the basics. But you really do have to go back in and study the finer points. Um, if, if we do this well tonight, you'll be motivated to get this up to the top of your to-do list or your study list. And again, I just want to make it really clear that you can go out onto Scribid. You can search it on the interwebs. You can write to me at rentsalatreagan.com in my email. I'll send it directly out to you. And so, because I think it's, it's extremely important, and I happen to know from firsthand experience, this is not what the police are being trained on as far as what their responsibility constitutes, what, what constitutes a proper lawful arrest. They're actually trained to exploit the, the, exploit the exceptions. And we're going to talk about the exceptions as well so that you know you can see it right away how they're exploiting the exceptions. They're not being trained on the common law on arrest, even though that is ultimately what the superior courts in the states do uphold. We'll get into exactly where you can find the states upholding this common law on arrest. Um, and we'll give you references for how you can verify that that's true, that the states do uphold the common law on arrest. But what we're going to cover is a few things. What constitutes a lawful arrest? The only two exceptions to the, the general rule. Um, three definitions of a properly executed warrant. The definition of a felony. The definition of a breach of peace. And then into the state annota annotated statutes, why we should care about these annotated statutes. Um, and due process versus statutes. How you make a claim of false imprisonment. Who has the burden of proof on a claim of false imprisonment? Um, if we can, we'll talk about peace officers versus code enforcers. Uh, what the law is on being taken directly to the magistrate. And uh, just basically anything else that we can cover in this that allows you to be free from fear. Um, and that's, that really is the name of the game. Take standing, be free from fear. Later on, if, um, if we get Chuck and Peter on the call at the same time, I know Chuck wanted some help from Peter in um, Pennsylvania on some of these notices that you guys have been sharing from time to time. So at, at this point, um, are, there, are there any questions before we get into, into the treatise? Okay, so first of all, I'll introduce this. And if you look at, it's, it's, it's really extremely exciting. Um, page two and three uh, in the treatise is an introduction. 
this book is about liberty. It's about the lawful and unlawful means by which government acts in depriving an individual of his liberty. History teaches that deprivation of liberty is more often arbitrary and unlawful than otherwise. So this is always how they've gotten us all through history, by our ignorance. Daniel Webster once stated this problem in these words, the contest for the ages has been to rescue liberty from the grasp of executive power. And it's, liberty is taken away or deprived most commonly by arrest and imprisonment. The practice of easy arrests and secret imprisonments has always been the, an earmark of a despotic executive power, no different than now. To compound this problem, we have the legislative mills, which turn out thousands of new laws every year. So they pass all kinds of laws right now. We've got a, a total of 80 million laws that have been passed. And why, are they, why do we have so many laws? There's the book, Three Felonies a Day, that will tell you that you're, every day that you go, go about your business in a normal way, you've committed three felonies. So, it basically allows the administrative courts uh, to come out and start charging you, and it actually, you know, the bottom line is they want money. And it, it says that the, the passion of the modern legislatures to regulate every facet, facet of our lives is notorious. Um, it becomes doubly intolerable if every zealous officer officer is authorized to arrest on site, every person whom he detects is breaking one of these so-called laws. No one can be safe to leave their home or travel about for fear of being subject to thousands of unknown laws in which he could be instantly arrested for transgressing. Um, I have been, a bunch of you guys have been, Chuck has been, Wendell has been, subject to laws that that are just a statute. People no longer live their lives in a, in a little village where they were born. They go from place to place through innumerable towns and villages and the risk of being arrested on site because one's conduct contravenes some regulation which the wisdom of the local salons deems necessary. It's appalling to any thinking person it would be impossible to know at what moment one might become amenable to arrest. The history of our ancestors over the centuries teaches that people cannot be free where the executive power can arbitrarily arrest or imprison citizens. So just to get right down to the, and, and as I read through this the first time, I never realized how jealous the law is of our liberty. I, I think we've been dumbed down to such a point that we don't even realize how important we are and how important it is that those in power cannot take us and lock us in a cage for nothing. So um, on this, please read page three because it's talking about um, how important it is that the powers that be not be, um, have the license basically to forcibly, forcefully deprive a man of freedom to go wherever he may. It's clearly a trespass. False imprisonment was indeed one of the first trespasses recognized by the common law. False imprisonment is a great offense due to the high regard the law has for liberty. 
and it gives you lots of references. Blackstone's commentaries. Every confinement of the person is an imprisonment, whether it be in a common prison or in a private house or in the stocks or even by forcibly detaining one in the public streets. So when the lights go on, you're imprisoned. So if you're forced to pull over in your car, the lights have come on, that's an imprisonment. So what we've got to know is, was it a lawful imprisonment or an unlawful imprisonment? And this goes into extreme detail. Um, false imprisonment has been well defined to be a trespass committed by one man against the person of another by unlawfully arresting him and detaining him without legal authority. So what is it that constitutes a lawful arrest? Okay, you don't have to be a lawyer. You don't even have to be someone smart to remember what these things are. It's extremely simple. There's only one type of lawful arrest, and that is arrest by properly signed and executed warrant. There's only two exceptions to arrest with a warrant. The two exceptions are that there's probable cause that a felony has been committed or is about to be committed, or a breach of the peace is committed in the officer's presence. So that is it. That's all. It's, that's the simplicity. Either they have a warrant that they can put in your hand and present to you, and you can find a blue ink signature on that warrant. The warrant also has to have a couple of things which we'll get into later. But it's either a, an arrest by warrant, or it's a felony offense and a felony is extremely well-defined. Breaches of peace are well-defined at common law. So if it's a moving violation, if it's um, some kind of made-up offense by the legislature, that's not a felony. A felony is murder, rape, kidnapping, sodomy, abortion, treason, and arson. A breach of the peace is not up to the officer's discretion. He can't just say, oh, this man was, was committing a breach of the peace. But breach of the peace is, is well-defined as well. And that's what you'll find out as you go through this. Um, some people thought it was a breach of the peace for um, somebody to be drunk in public. Not so. And at other times, people thought playing baseball on a, on a Sunday was breach of the peace. Not so. So it's well-settled law what constitutes a breach of the peace. Um, and that's one of the, those distinctions that we've got to get down and, and get into when we, when we start to um, look at what the, what the law is on, on arrest. So um, any questions at this point at all? Yeah. Hello, Maria. Oh, hey, John. Got any questions on the so far? I just got on there, and uh, <clears throat> but uh, correct me if you think my thinking is wrong here, but I think you're defining these things according to our definitions of, of those. Uh, and if you're not, if you're defining it through the 
de facto, then it may be a situation where the de facto defines things however in the hell they wish to at any given time. Yeah, no, I totally understand your sentiment on it, but we're going to answer through that. Have you got a copy of the document that we're going through, Treatise on Arrest and False Imprisonment? It was um, included in the in the promotion of tonight's show. Uh, what that again, Treatise on what now? Yeah, it was an attachment on the promotion I sent you uh, via email today or yesterday. Treatise on arrest and false imprisonment. We're we're going to get into. Okay, I uh, I don't want to uh, distract you from what you're doing, but I will find it uh, and bring it up. That's okay. Thank you very yeah. much. Yeah. Okay. All right. No problem. And and what one thing I want to make sure that we try to do at times here is is we're covering. We're covering uh, the documents. We're covering what we've got as uh, basically as references and as evidence that we're right about common law being enforceable. And so we're going to get into that idea that this is what's being um, this is what is enforced in Alaska. In fact, if you know where to find it, and and uh, if you know how to to deal with it. So, first of all, we've got to know. We, one, go quick, ahead. one quick question. This document that you uh, <clears throat> attached, do uh, you consider that a com, uh, common law document? I consider it a treaty, a treatise. So, that means it's got references um, that you can look up on the public record. So, it's not. It's not just the guy's opinion. It's it's not an opinion piece. He's he's giving references right within the material. No, I I understand that part, but I'm just curious as to uh, whether it is more uniquely a common law document, or is it applicable also to the de facto? Okay, well, can I answer that as we go through? I'm going to get your question answered. Um, yeah, go in. The what it, what it is is, uh, and I'll give you another reference to find out if what I'm saying is true, and that is what is considered to be the common law. And if you if you go out and search for Richard Cornforth, and I've put it up on my YouTube channel. Um, the YouTube channel is called Maria Rensel, and if you look under Decoding Roman Law, you'll find three videos in which it's Richard Cornforth talking about what is common law. And his definition is that it's the annotated statutes in the state. So what are the annotated statutes? And those, what those are, you can find them in the law library under annotated statutes. And those are the decisions of the state Supreme Court. So if you look in this treatise that he's um, that we're reading through, what you're going to find is state Supreme Court decisions of the uh, Supreme Court of Michigan, for example, here on page 9. The law governing this case is elementary. Elementary law, says the Supreme Court of Michigan. That means everybody knows this is true. 
except for a breach of the peace committed in his presence or when he has reasonable ground to believe that a person arrested is a felon or is about to commit a felony, a police officer has no authority to arrest without warrant. So that is, that is the common law of Michigan, what the Supreme Court of Michigan has found. Um, and we'll, as we go through, we'll learn more. But you can find out from Richard Cornforth that indeed the common law is what the states, even statutorily, even, even the de facto recognizes that the, that the state Supreme Court pronounce what they call the common law. That's not the same as what we talk about as common law in the early American colonies our unique American common law, but it is what the, it is the way the lawyers recognize it. So um, just to reiterate, there's only one, one proper way to arrest, and that is with a warrant. There are only two exceptions to arrest with a warrant, and that is probable cause that a felony is about to be committed or has been committed. In other words, the guy got caught red-handed, so he can be arrested without the warrant. Or a breach of the peace, which is also really well-defined. So those are the two, two exceptions. Definition of a properly executed warrant, okay? Um, and that is... Um, Okay, we're moving past chapter three, arrest without warrant. But I, wanted, I do want to point out something in chapter three of this treatise, and that is just read the, read the complaint by Charles A. Weissman against the defendant who is the copper who arrested him. Um, just, just read right through that. And then especially read the memorandum of law on arrest without warrant, because Charles A. Weissman was arrested by a copper in Minnesota under the guise of, okay, there's a statute in place. So if you look down the arguments and statements of law, it says, since the arrest deprived, deprived Charles Weissman of his liberty by an act not pursuant to due process of law, the arrest is unlawful. Due process is not determined by the legislature. And then he includes a, a court case, it's a US Supreme Court case that says it's manifest, it is not left to the legislative power to exact any process which might be devised. The due process article is a, a restraint on the legislative as well as on the executive and judicial powers of government and cannot be so construed as to leave Congress free to make any process due process of law by its mere will. So if something is done outside of due process, there's no statute, there's no legislation, legislature or executive or judicial power that can abrogate due process of law. So having a properly signed warrant um, having a, a warrant that is backed up by facts and not just feelings, having a warrant that it has to, 
it has to have a the warrant has to have attached to it an affidavit sworn and, and by by the witness that a crime has been committed. So there has to be a sworn affidavit backing up the warrant, the reason for the arrest. And there is supposed to be, my understanding is there's supposed to be a bond, a public performance bond um, with the warrant so that if whoever's going out to arrest somebody causes some kind of a problem, they're, they're insured against any harm that they might cause the public. And then the other thing that I haven't been able to find this yet, but there's supposed to be a return receipt. Once the warrant has been executed properly, it goes back to the clerk of the court um, and lets the clerk of the court know that, it's that, that that warrant's been acted upon and somebody's been arrested. And so what's happening out there is that people are pay, playing fast and loose with the, with the process. All of this is part of due process. If we don't, this is what I'm so interested in, and that is restoring our knowledge of due process, because if we don't restore our knowledge of it, we're not going to be able to enforce it. So there are elements of this that we have to kind of drill down into to understand fully that what is the due process? So as far as, so the first thing is that the, the, we have to understand what's a lawful, what constitutes a lawful arrest, what the two exceptions are, what we can expect from the warrant, what the warrant should look like, that it has to be based on something also lawful, and that the, using the excuse that there's a statute in place that allows cops to do whatever they want is just an excuse. And so we've got to be able to call them out on that because there is no legislative power that can deprive us of our due process. One of the things that you'll find out as you, as you run through this, um, hold phone for, okay. Um, one of the things that you'll find out as you go through this um, so through the treatise is that what one, one of the big things Charles Weissman is saying is that, is that what has happened, um, I'm not sure what the problem is there, but I'm getting a little bit of re reverb. Okay. What do we need to do? I, John, I, your speakers might be turned up a little too high again. A little too loud. We're getting Let some feedback. Turn. We're getting turned down quite low now. Okay. All right. We'll just, Bill's are kind of regulating it on the chat room. So, okay. So, anyway, one of the big problems that Charles Weissman is talking about in this in this treatise is the fact that um, not bringing up the proper arguments when you're arrested, you're placed under false arrest and imprisonment or arrest and false imprisonment, is that we make a fatal error. And the fatal error, he says, is that we don't claim due process violations. So 
Um, if you if you are, for example, Chuck, Chuck's last arrest. By this by these rules, there was no probable cause that a felony was about to be committed. There was um, some kind of a, a statute that the, the the troopers were relying on to arrest him, and so by definition, it meets the um, it meets the definition of a false imprisonment. He was taken up off the street for doing something that the statute doesn't allow, which is to cover up his VIN number with a piece of paper. And so he was taken off to uh, and put in a cage. And so the, he's a victim of a false imprisonment. Rather than being um, rather than being an actual criminal that they arrested because a felony was about to be committed, they they placed him under a false arrest, and so he actually has a claim against the guys. The fact that they're bringing him to um, they're pressing charges against him is an example. Um, what you'll find out in this essay is called a malicious prosecution, um, and that has various elements that you have to that have to be met. But once um, once a false imprisonment is made and one of us people out here on the land makes a claim of false imprisonment, the burden of proof shifts. I think I'm hearing you. Are you John? Yes. I think I'm hearing you mumble. Hearing me mumble? Yeah. I'm not mumbling. Are you reading? Yes. Okay. Okay. I, yeah, I could hear you reading aloud. It's no, coming no, over. I, in the... I didn't think that I was, but I'll, I'll be aware of that then, all right? Okay. All right. Thanks. So anyway, once, once uh, the man who is been arrested, makes a claim of false imprisonment, the burden of proof shifts to those officers. So that's um, one, one thing to kind of keep, you know, to give you a heads up that if you are the victim of a false imprisonment, because you know these, the law now, um, the burden of proof is not on you to prove that you were falsely imprisoned. The burden of proof is on the state because the law is such a jealous guardian of our liberty, um, <clears throat> is the way it's put in this essay, in this treatise. But you'll, you'll basically you'll want to know where you can find that. You'll go to the state annotated statutes. And if you look at the state annotated statutes, I've done this recently in Alaska, gone up to the law library at, the, at UAF and looked at the decisions that have been made by the Supreme Court when somebody appeals this to the level of the Supreme Court, the annotated statutes or those that case law goes right along with what I'm saying and what Charles Weissman is saying is the common law and arrest. It's well-settled law. The uh, justices in the Supreme Court of Alaska know that it's well-settled law. So if somebody knows enough to take this to the 
to the level of the Supreme Court and really continue fighting it, they don't have any choice. So you look down the cases that have been decided in Alaska on this issue, and there's no question that it's that our Alaska Supreme Court upholds these this common law on arrest and what it looks like to me is it's being upheld all across all of the state except for the fact that you've got some kind of a contract with the state and that is in the form of the driver's license and what Charles Weissman says in this treatise and what I believe is the truth is that at the time when um, the statute came in to allow driver's license for all people driving their private automobiles, nobody stood up and fought it and said this is a denial of our due process of law. So because they didn't raise the issue properly and they didn't say this isn't this is this is an unlawful statute, then it was a fatal error. And anybody who's basically dumb enough to take out a contract with there's the corporation that runs their state and says, I'll abide by your contract, um, they're going to be, um, basically they're going to be uh, subject to arrest and false imprisonment as if by their consent and their knowledge. Because the statutes in all the states say that if you're in a contract with your state, and if you're in agreement to have a driver's license, then you agree that at any time that you must always keep your your driver's license and your registration of your vehicle with you. It's got to be on you at all times, and at any time a peace officer or now a code enforcement officer may stop you and require you to show those. And it seems to me that what these guys have been acting on this whole time is that you have a contract with this corporation that runs your state, and so they can do what they want. They can stop you, and if you don't, if you don't display those items for them, if you don't show your papers, they're going to be taking you off to jail. If they don't take you off to jail, you've agreed in that contract to um, accept service of process. So if the district attorney decides that he's going to charge you for something, then you've already said, okay, you can serve me at such and such an address. Um, you're allowed to serve me. You can, you can basically hunt me down and charge me. Um, and so that's been the problem, is just our lack of knowledge in order to, to um, just keep, keep this idea of due process. We've always had the remedy that we can fight against this with um, calling for due process in the court. We can still do that. And in this treatise, you can look at page 13, 14, um, as, as well as page 18, and find out, again, that the legislature has no power to replace due process with any sort of a statute. Um, the difference between a peace officer and a code enforcer is pretty obvious. The peace officer was empowered to arrest people that were breaching the peace, so he had the authority to take people off the street that were 
breaching the peace in order to restore peace. Now with the code enforcement officers, they're enforcing those 80 million laws in order to profit their, the corporations they're working for. Um, and there's just one other aspect I wanted to cover before we t start taking, talking questions, clarifications, and comments, and that is the law on being taken directly to the magistrate. One more surprising thing about this treatise on arrest and false imprisonment is that the only purpose that the peace officer has, or even the code enforcement officer, I would venture to, to say, the whole purpose of them, of arresting you, is for one purpose, and that is not so that they can detain you and lock you in a cage. The purpose is to take you before a magistrate. And it's really well outlined in here. Um, look at page 39, 46, 49, and 53. All of those address this. Um, it talks about the Fourth Amendment's been badly violated in these arrests, but we find that the due process of law provision is virtually ignored when it comes to warrants. A warrant of arrest is a written order issued by a court or a magistrate directed to a peace officer or a specified private person commanding him to arrest the named person. It's regarded as fundamental law that uh, the warrant must be acquired and be in the actual possession of the one making the arrest, otherwise he's not protected by it. So the warrant is there to protect the peace officer making the arrest. Um, the requirement of having the warrant for arrest in actual possession is a common law rule and thus part of the due process of law. Um, now, in Chuck's case also, um, he asked for the warrant and the, um, in, the, in the last arrest, I'm sorry, he asked for the warrant in the previous time he was arrested. and and the North Pole City cop said, we don't, we don't have to do that anymore. So there has been some act of the legislature, again, here in Alaska that hasn't been challenged on the, uh, on the due process angle. So somebody's got to make that challenge. Um, Okay, and this is more, actually 46 and 47 are more on, it's more about invalid and unlawful warrants. A warrant must have certain requisites in order to render it valuable and available as a defense. Many unlawful arrests have been made due to warrants failing to meet such requisites. Whenever a warrant is invalid on its face and where it is only a summons, the officer arresting the defendants will be liable in damages. A prima facie invalid warrant will be regarded as no warrant, and the officer making an arrest by a void or invalid warrant is not protected by it. Uh, if a warrant order or writ of possession shows lack of jurisdiction of the court, the officer is not protected in serving it. A warrant must show that the warrant on its face is legal, that the magistrate had jurisdiction of the subject matter, both the prop Proper subject matter jurisdiction and geographical jurisdiction are necessary for a valid warrant. Neither consent 
nor waiver can give jurisdiction. Such limitations were designed to make government follow certain established procedures and thus making things difficult in order to deprive a citizen of his liberty or property. A rubber stamped warrant is invalid on its face as it is not signed by any judicial officer. The authorization for a warrant required not only judicial authority, but is to be done by one who is learned in the law to determine if probable cause exists to issue the warrant. So this is talking about rubber stamped warrants that basically have been brought before a magistrate or justice of the peace. And it's a blatantly unlawful practice. It's been adopted for convenience sake. But of course, convenience is the most common reason or excuse that government uses to transcend constitutional and common law limitations. Um, chapter 7 gets really, really tough. If an arrest is lawful, even if they've jumped through all the hoops correctly, a detention of the prisoner for an unreasonable time without taking him before a committing magistrate will constitute false imprisonment. They have to let you go. So this is bringing an arrested person before a magistrate. When I was arrested, I asked four times, very, very specifically, so it got on the tape. Uh, to be taken to a magistrate. And just as what this treaty says, just for convenience, we don't do that anymore. You're going to be taken directly to jail. So there's more prima facie evidence this was a false arrest and imprisonment, and somebody in the state of Alaska should be held liable for this. Um, and I should have made the claim of arrest and false imprisonment because what that would have done was just completely um, shift the burden of proof to, to the, the guy who did the arrest um, or the prosecutor, whoever they, they throw it to. Um, and this is just really, really strong. The duty of the officer, it is a fundamental rule of procedure well grounded in the common law that where an arrest is made, the alleged offender is to be taken before a magistrate to be dealt with according to law. This is not only to be done, but to be done without delay or without unnecessarily delay. Otherwise, the arresting party is liable for false imprisonment. This um, treatise also gives us an example of somebody who, uh, an arresting officer who pulled off to the side of the road and sat under the tree with the prisoner and made an unnecessary um, delay. And so the, the arrest was deemed to be unlawful. You can't even, the, the, the person has to be taken directly before a magistrate or judicial tribunal. And that's the only purpose for allowing um, officers of the peace or code enforcement officers to have this kind of power is because they need to be taken before a magistrate so they can determine based on the merits of the case, the facts, um, and, and by due process, whether or not this person should be thrown in jail. So it's very, very strong. Um, I think when I, when I first read this, I, I was very surprised um, at how strong the law is on arrest. 
and it's really, really obvious why the powers that be don't want people to know about this, um, because if they did know about it, they'd start enforcing it. Um, so we've got to we've got to make sure we know this and that we we share it with people, and that we start enforcing it because the 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 uh, basically the the only moral code by the actors of this corporation, these corporate governments, the only moral code is profit. The only thing they care about is profit. And, you know, we can get into a little bit more about how each court case is designed to help them administer a pile of money that's been um, that's been put somewhere in the name of your estate, which is your... Uh, your vessel in commerce. We can we can talk a little bit about how those proceedings are administrative procedures, how you the man are the beneficiary of the estate of the defendant, and how the defendant is the estate that's being administered in these constructive trusts that are being created when a when a court case happens. But just suffice it to say that the powers that be do not want us to understand the common law. They don't want us to understand due profit. Um, they want us to keep making fallacious, bad arguments about right to travel. Um, and, and basically standing on our, quote, constitutional rights, which they don't have any, they don't have any, um, they don't have any obligation to uphold as long as there's a contract because of the type of jurisdiction that they're presuming us to be under. Um, anyway, the big the big message here is know your common law, read this treatise, get a get a copy of it, and and uh, start teaching people. What they can do and who they are and how to how to deal with um, these uh, code enforcement officers that are coming at them uh, with a profit motive to to get them uh, involved in a, in a in a in a contract that's devoid of due process. All right. What have we got? Questions and clarifications and things like that. And do we have uh, do we have Chuck on the line and do we have Peter on the line at all tonight? Uh, I think Peter was going to be on Gus's show this evening. He had uh, shot me a message earlier today. Oh, okay. So Gus has got a show on Wednesday night. I believe so. Oh, okay. All right. I know they've got the health show on Tuesday nights, but I think sometimes, yeah, Gus does a, a Wednesday night show. So was there anything in that uh, that you hadn't read about before? That was to you, Chris. Um, yeah, actually, this is the first time I've ever read the treatment. Is it is it surprising? Is it as surprising to you as it was to me? Pretty much. 
it really is. It's, it's really surprising that this is not tall. Yeah. Yeah. Hard reading that. Go ahead, sir. This absolutely should be required reading in, in uh, any kind of law school situation or any kind of educational setting for sure. It's, I'd be surprised. I, I'm pretty sure that when I was going through my case, the, the police officer didn't know what the law on arrest was, and we gave him a copy of this, and he took it from us. Did he ever get back with you? We haven't gotten back with him, and I wouldn't have, I wouldn't expect him to get back with us. But um, we haven't gotten back to him to find out what he knows. But it's pretty obvious that the cops are being trained by the. I think he told Bill this that they get trained by the attorneys that are working for the city on, and basically all they're doing is exploiting. They're they're exploiting the um, statutes, the the gray areas. Well, that alone is disconcerting that they've got bar attorneys teaching the uh, people that they interact with. You know, that's a whole conflict of interest in those. You know, firsthand. Yeah. Yep. Well, and. This is this material is 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 good enough to take to your city council because yeah. who is it that's running the police shop? It's the cities. No matter who they are, I mean, even if the cities are franchises of a of a state that's a that's a franchise of a federal corporation, still. The buck's got to stop somewhere, somewhere locally. Oh, that's a good recommendation is everybody that has uh, where the means to do, you know, maybe print a couple of copies of this out, carry them down to your local police department, and have to see the sergeant or uh, more along the lines, or if you know somebody, and a couple copies through. Yep. Or when you, you know, when it's time for an, a meeting of the city council or of the borough assembly or whatever, you know, I've done this. I did it. I did it in 2017. I put together a, a, a conversation about this that I could just read for five minutes in front of the city council, um, and I explained. What the law on the law on arrest and and, and imprisonment is the so the false arrest and imprisonment laws. I I did. I went through it, and um, I was called a sovereign citizen by Jerry Cleaver. He said uh, something about my sovereign citizen beliefs. I was just appalled. Um, he's supposed to be one of the good guys. He's, 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 I, I really like Jerry Worth and he's, he's been, uh, you know, a good resource for sure around the town to learn a lot of different things about 
some of the backdoor dealings and whatnot. But uh, you know, he's, he's definitely yeah. got his comfort level, but and he's also got his his uh, education level. You know, we're, I guess we all fit different places for the most part, but uh, we're all trying to get towards the better page. Oh yeah, yeah. No, and I and the attitude always has to be forgiveness, of course, because everybody's at a different place in their education, but. Still, we 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 go way back, and I didn't think he'd be calling me names like that, but he did right in front of God and everybody. So I I had to take take him out. Um, I had to come back two or three more times and talk about the evils of calling somebody a sovereign citizen, and I still don't think I've done a thorough job, but. I think he got the message for sure. But the point is that this is um, all through here. It's like well-settled law. So what does it mean when you bring law to your public people, the, the public so-called government, and instead of appreciating the fact that you're being lawful, you're studying law, you know law, those kinds of things. Instead of being forthright and upholding that, upholding the law, they go after you as a, terror, a domestic terrorist for bringing the law into the public. That's just, and, and that's just know, amazing. The thing is, you're you and Bill right there. You you're one case. I'm another case. Lindell on the line. She's another case. I mean, we've just got a ton of Chuck. I mean, we've got lots and lots and lots of cases of these things. Yeah. Yeah, it's not isolated, is what you're saying. No, it's it's, it's they they take it as a threat. It's it's a threat to the transition from common law to the takeover of the UCC system to overburden it and just kind of plot it out through ignorance. Well, and it's really profitable. And if I wanted to, I wanted to point out a couple of different things to people who might be downloading this show later, and that is there's a guy that tells you how to sue their ass off. And that's um, a website called We versus We v Gov. Um, he's got a talk show, and I looked him up. And I'm following that talk show, and I can't think of what what the name of it is. Um, anyway, the website is We v Gov. I believe it's .com. We v Gov .com, and that is about whenever somebody comes at you and they're in a position of authority in the public. They're an officer of some kind of the corporations that are operating as our governments. They come at you today. You need to come back with a lawsuit today. Because what that means is they have deprived you uh, or they've caused you a harm, an injury, or a loss as they've executed their duties. And they have bonds to cover them for doing things like that. And sometimes they're malicious, and sometimes they're just ignorance. But regardless, if you suffer a loss that you've got to bring the complaint or the claim, 
so that, you know, it's instructive. You know, it doesn't even have to be for money, but it can be. But it's instructive to them. They're not going to keep doing it over and over again if they are at risk of losing their jobs. So there's, that's WeVGov. And the other one is a guy called um, Mark Emery. His, his name is called Mark Emery. And he has a YouTube channel called Lighthouse Law Club. And there is an absolutely brilliant video called, it's um, Status Standing and Agency. If you look up Mark Emery, Status Standing and Agency, and it tells you what's really going on in the courtroom when they're administering your estate. Oh, well, it's not your estate. They're administering this, the estate of the defendant, and you are the man who is the grantor and beneficiary of that estate. And it goes to the, the way you answer when your case is called and you think that's your name they're calling, and where and how you answer that you're not there in a representative capacity, you're not the surety, you're not the debtor, you are not the defendant. The, the defendant, you are the man who is the beneficiary of the estate of the defendant. And the way that looks, the estate of the, the defendant looks like your given name, first, middle, and last, styled as all caps. That's not you. That's an estate. That's a, that's a trust account. So he really shows you how to hit back hard if you're dragged in. And it's, it's kind of like this law and false imprisonment. If you're ignorant of it, you can't stand up and defend against a false imprisonment. You can't, you can't swing around and say, hey, I'm charging you with false imprisonment and know that the burden of proof now is on them that they didn't falsely imprison you. Same thing with this being the... the um, being the beneficiary of the estate of the defendant, if you know that, you're, you're going to be in, in the driver's seat when it comes to your time to, to go in. Um, so anyway, look, look up Lighthouse Law Club and look up Status Standing and Agency and look up WeVGov. Um, if you're involved in any of these things. And the other thing Interesting too, notices of liability, and you can talk a lot more about that, Chris, or at least a little bit about it. Sorry, come back again. I, I lost you for a second. What was that? I think I lost you there for the last little bit of what you said. Oh, just notices of liability? I, I was saying that. That, that was an important piece of the puzzle. Oh, for sure, the notice of liability. Yeah, it, it just, it, it's really, it, it gives them the, um, the, sledge, the sledgehammer, but still the touch of the law um, to let them be aware that they're liable, personally liable. And it's, um, that's one of the, the key elements, I think, to kind of clear in the air and giving them um, um, the heads up that they can be personally uh, Bible, so you can move forward with any suits against a man or woman that has caused you harm. 
there's a those that have not been on some of the prior show, there's a really great um, thing you can look up. It's called Empower Movement. As they're based out of Canada, but they've really been geared towards the uh, 5G technologies of the smart meters and whatnot. And um, they, it, it's, it's a little more in-depth, I think, than, than a lot of um, notice liabilities really need to be. But they're trying to take a different perspective, kind of a bulletproof um, legal lawful perspective across the board, where <clears throat> operating in the common law, I don't think it really needs to be so complex. It really can be just a simple statement of who you're noticing and why, and uh, maybe even giving them a little bit of their uh, the law that they do not know, just like you were talking about, Grant. Um, giving them the heads up that they are um, beholden to this law. This is this is your law, not my law, but this is your law, and you're causing harm. And um, we're going to bring the hammer down on you. <laughs> Don't leave us alone, or stop causing harm, or or, or continue acting in the in the, the the way and the means that you have been. That's really kind of been hard a little bit too recently. Is we've been I've been watching some of the videos um, with Drew that he's got first-handed from uh, when he was down there at the DAPL uh, pipeline protest there in North Dakota. And oh, uh huh. The way that these people, in fact, um, we're going to start posting some of these. These a lot of these may have ne may never have been seen even um, online. But these will be videos of, of the, some of the interactions between um, these paid mercenary thugs that cover their badges and their and their names and all this and hide behind these shields and take direct action against um, our fellow brother and sisters and the fellow natives. And, um, it's pretty disconcerting, you know, the, the fact that these people know that they're acting against not only um, men and women, but you know, on treat on land, you know, where there's treaties, and they just, you know, corporations don't mind breaking treaties if it's in their interest, and especially whenever they get the backing. Um, like when Trump came in, you know, it was just literally uh, a week or two before they just crushed them. You know, they they knocked them out of all the camps and um, and ran them out for total fear tactics. Not to mention the use of of weapons that are considered um, weapons, what was it, weapons of mass destruction or something along those lines for, for those um, radar units. Like you can't use them and they can't use them under the <laughs> because they're such extreme weapons. You're online now. Yeah, and uh, it's, it's okay to use them in our own country though, on our, on our own people. These people are using Weapons, these weapons against our people. In fact, there are, Fairbanks has two of them. Two of them in our, our little town up here in Fairbanks, Alaska. They've got two of these radar um, type units to where they can turn on the people any given time, but these are considered weapons that cannot be used in the realm of war, even like what's been happening in the Middle East. But they're okay. What are these? What are these weapons called? What are they technically called? Do you have any idea? Uh, I can pull them up here, and it'll it'll just take me a second. Um, yeah, I'd be interested to have some information on that because 
it always makes me wonder if this has something to do with um, it, your condition and your status in as your as a political status or a civil status. Um, if you're if you think about the phrase in this state, it means in this condition, and that refers to your political status. If you are in the condition of subservient to all of the corporations and the corporate officers, you're low man on the totem pole, and you happen to be in that condition. Some of the statutory language is in this state. Okay, so what it means is if you are in this state, in the state of Alaska, and you're one of the citizens of the United States, so your you're political status as United States citizen, and you're coming under, not the common law, but you're coming, you've agreed to come under some other system, a bad system, a system that doesn't believe in protecting your rights, but just basically taking from you. Um, right. There, this is the kind of legal, we, we all know this kind of legal chicanery that happens that allows that the, the they give themselves special dispensation to pirate and, and to do all the things that pirates do against you. And so um, it, it may be the case. I mean, we, you and I noticed that in the reports coming out of California, they've got all the people of the state of California written as nom de guerre, which would be your war name, as if the people of California are enemies of whoever is is running these wildfires against the, 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 the peoples of California, the people, um, makes me wonder if they've been redefined, a citizen has been redefined as an enemy combatant in that situation. Which is what they've been working on for a while. I mean, you mentioned it earlier, talking about the SOSIT, um, you know, movement, and, and that was actually at the Department of Homeland Security, and realistically, with the technology they have and the ability to track and monitor and listen and hear and see everything, even if you type them up and you deleted it before you even said it, they've got it. And they've got everything they need to basically probably color anybody any direction they want. So with the artificial intelligence and these computer systems nowadays, there's nothing to secure this technological. Well, I, th I think it really does make a difference to go through and figure out who you are and what your status and standing ought to be and, and put that claim out there on the public record and give notice that uh, it's, it's like the notice of liability. It's fair warning that if you come at me, you're not coming at one of your regular citizen people. You're coming at something different. And, and what that is, is somebody who knows the, the law, who knows how to defend themselves, and somebody who knows how to go after you. You know, we're, we're coming after you. We're, it's, we're not leaving it up to Trump to, to, to make all the indictments and, and, and indict people for criminal activity. We the nationals of the states are coming after you, the ones that are hiding behind a Nuremberg defense. 
So the um, the acoustic device is called an LRAD. Okay. And, uh, LRAD. A long range acoustics device. But I, I noticed here too that they've started trying to call it a long range acoustic hailing device, like it's trying to get somebody's attention. Well, it's absolutely getting their attention because it can cause heart attacks. It can cause the you know the body to sweat and break out into uh, to almost hives by the the frequencies it emits. It's probably like think of it as like a long range reach out and touch somebody with um, electricity kind of thing. With yeah. Yeah, and so you can mess basically electrocuting people to different you know targeting different systems of the body. Mm-hmm. But this is okay to use on in in America in the republics. Our republic states. We are allowing corporations to get away with using this. Oh, this is the this is my question. Can you really use it in the republics, or can you only use it in the democracy? Because. Well, in a republic, no, because it would it would never be approved for here anyway. We would never have any of these costume thugs running around like they're who they are, you know. In a republic, well, but, but we but, have a democracy. What, but what you're not, maybe what you're not seeing is that we have both occupying the same space. Um, oh no, no, I, looking, I understand that, but thing is, those weapons don't discriminate. Uh, right, right. And so, and this is what I'm trying to say is when you start to see how it's being done. Okay, let's just say it's being done. Maybe I'm right. It's being done because people are U.S. citizens, and they're presuming everybody inside the, the borders of Alaska are U.S. citizens. Okay? Oh, correct. So here's, here's an, an interesting case that um, our, friend, our friend of our common law group says this has no bearing on anything, Maria, but, but just listen to this. Just listen to the logic of this. It, it's regarding um, to uh, National Mutual Insurance Company of D.C. versus Tidewater, Virginia, I believe, the, the township. It says Congress has exclusive legislative, it's, it's the upshot of a U.S., probably a landmark case. Um, I can't tell you for sure. Congress has exclusive legislative jurisdiction over citizens of Washington District of Columbia and through their plenary power nationally covers those citizens even when in one of the several states as though the district expands for the purpose of regulating its citizens wherever they go through state union. So you give Washington District of Columbia your oath of fealty by saying, yeah, I'll be one of your citizens. Anywhere you go, anywhere in the world, the, the District of Columbia expands for the purpose of regulating you. Now what you've done is you have allowed those crooks in D.C., the swamp, the swamp creatures, basically, to follow you anywhere you go. It doesn't matter if the states are republics. You've, it's like slime. It attaches yeah. to you, and it doesn't let go. 
You're right, and, and that's kind of part with um, I, I heard something just with one of these political talking heads recently where they made it a point to say, well, so, and it, and it may have, I don't know who it was, but they said something along the lines of, so you mean uh, an American citizen's rights are followed with them wherever they are on the globe? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think it was but, towards the whole terrorism thing, right? So basically, if you're involved over there, you should still be, um, you should still have your rights as a citizen upheld wherever you are. So that means they can execute you pretty much anywhere <laughs> if you can take that. Yeah. <laughs> well, and and when you're talking about citizenship, a citizen and a person and rights in the same sentence, you're not talking about rights. You're talking about privileges and immunities. That's that's the way the the Constitution has been redefined for citizens. You have certain privileges and immunities. You don't have any rights. You have just what we give you and nothing more. So when we're talking about a you know privilege or a benefit, benefit could be jail time. Benefit benefit could be lethal injection. Benefit could be anything we 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 spend money on. That's exactly in regards right. I mean, everything, right. Everything, well, everything they say, period. I mean, that's the way this slime talks. It talks in that double talk, in that legalese double talk. If they're saying for the benefit, they're definitely not talking for our benefit. They're talking for their corporate benefit. People yeah. really, really, yeah. Time yeah. they see these things. Yeah. These are corporations. This is not your hometown, you know, serve on your little local community council. These are corporations. These are McDonald's. So you go to your state, I'm going to say it again, that's your Sam's Club or your Walmart or Marshall Law, Walmart, whatever the hell it is. Oh, I learned a new fact. <laughs> Did you know that um, uh, Sam uh, Walken built uh, camps in uh, Nazi Germany? Interesting. No. Before he became a Walmart, 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 okay, state helm. Huh. Where are they keeping kids at it from the borders right now in the Walmart? Oh, really? Huh. Downtown with all this immigration thing. You know what was the big thing? Even uh, one of their congressmen that tried to get over and, and get access into one of these Walmart detention centers for the children that were they were being separated from whoever it was that was dragging them across the border. Mm-hmm. Walmart. Wow. Right in front of us. I mean, right in front of us. Yeah. Yeah, those of eyes to see will see it. Well, and that's, that's why we bother. I There are people that will see. There are people that will take it up. Uh, they'll take the ball and run with it. God knows who it's going to be and what they're going to do. And, and just, uh, but... You know, be peaceable, be lawful, you know, be loving. You know, understand where common law is coming from, what 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 motivation it's coming from. It's really to restore our freedom is, is the motivation we're coming from. Absolutely. So the to the to the degree we talk about corrupt officials and and actor, state actors, and things like that. Um, 
it's not out of hatred in our hearts. It's out of our, um, the objective to be the church, to be lawful, to, to, to carry out, to stand up for common law, which is the only one that makes any sense. Right. I mean, and I think you can express, we can express this. If we could just be in front of enough people and just to understand, okay, listen, here's a one-page form, and this has got, say, 10 maxims on here, right? Say 10 maxims of the law. Okay. Uh-huh. Can you agree to this? Or would you rather have this 10 million statutes and codes that you could not ever read in your entire lifetime and they're adding 10,000 or more a year, do you want to go by this? Do you want to go by this? Well, yeah. I mean, how is it possible to expect anybody to to behave lawfully if there's no, if, if, there's, if it's impossible to understand what they're expected to do? You know, it's pretty simple. If you're going to be expected to carry out, you know, basically expected to live on the right side of the law, don't you have to have a pretty good idea of what the right side of the law is? You you know, we can't. We can't afford to hire a lawyer to ask them if we can take a step here or, 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 you know, every time we need to know what to do, we can't go running around hiring lawyers. I wouldn't want to anyway, but. Absolutely not, because you're not acting as a man and woman and, and having the ability to make your own decisions and pay your own prices for failures. Whenever you have to ask uh, a, a master for, uh, you know, what 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 can I do, master? Yeah. Well, you can't even pump your own gas if you live in New Jersey. Or Oregon. And Oregon. Or Oregon. I mean, my gosh. Anyway, yeah. Um, Hopefully, people will grab a hold of some of this information. Is Drew here? He is. I was just fixing to uh, get him to, to talk a little bit and share what's on his mind right now. So you want to know about dogs? I wish you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, start Whatever. Uh, the more. The more you run, the more food they eat. But they're also uh, happier and healthier to get a lot of exercise. So. Yeah, yep. They got to get out there. Hey, um, how how did you ever get started with that? Were you up here already, or what? What got you started? Uh, it's about twenty years ago, and. Uh, I was uh, snow machining out uh, by Camwell, and I, I lost my coffee cup, and a dog musher found it, and I ended up talking to him, and then I followed him to Fairbanks here. So, 
that was I don't know if you know John Holberg, but that was a while ago. What's his name? Uh Holberg. John Holberg. He uh did the wagon rides in Fairbanks for years and uh, dog rides and so forth. Huh. No, I don't. I know my friend Natalie went out with Musher for a while, but it didn't work out. They usually don't. <laughs> if you have to pay attention to 20 dogs, it's hard for the other person. It's not getting any attention. So. Yeah. So do you have 20 dogs? or? Yes. So how long have you followed that guy into Fairbanks? Had you been to Fairbanks before? Uh, no, I I arrived in Seward and worked in uh, fish processing for a winter, which was a bit of a nightmare. And then uh, at Seward was kind of... Yeah. Then I, uh, I figured before I got too busy with anything, I should travel around Alaska. So I went to Kenai and Manly and, you know, up Coldfoot and Bison and, you know, traveled around. And so I got, I'm glad I got to do that when I had a chance before I had all the dogs. And so you decided to settle out just outside of Fairbanks? And start yeah, well, I tried to re retire in Minnesota, but it was too, too warm down there. And so I thought, well, for sure, one thing Fairbanks has is cold weather. And I was just uh, looking at the historical data from like seven years ago. <clears throat> Although it did warm up to 20 degrees by the end of the month, it started out like every day was 36 below, up to 10 below, then 40 below, then 8 below. You know what I mean? It's much colder than now, obviously. It it was much colder than now, huh? Yeah. So what I actually year was have to that? rethink dog mushing into more of a year-long thing than, you know, before you'd wait three months and then winter would start again. Uh, now it's like nine months. Yeah, true. True, yeah. What, what year was it when you were having the nice cold temperatures? Uh, it was like 98, 97. So early 2000, I think it was pretty cool. Then even recently, in the last like four years ago, it was like I came up for a month and it never got above 20 below. So not that long ago, really. Hmm. Yeah, just we don't have cold winters every year now. Right. I've been here. We've been here since I've been here since '04. Um. Bill's been here since 01, but we don't have, it seems like every year it's less and less of a full solid couple weeks of, of below, uh, you know, it used to be down at least two solid weeks of 40 below or, or more Right. throughout the winter. So I guess, uh, you know, as a musher, that sort of begs the question, and okay, if not in Fairbanks, where do you go? Because you go north of here, <laughs> it's, it's warmer, you know, by the water. It's supposed to be the cold spot. 
Fairbanks is the is supposed to be the coldest spot. Is that what you're saying? That's what I always thought. Oh, okay. Well, it's so it now, seems that we're. I think the only place I saw staying cold uh, was like Greenland and maybe like even uh, like north of Sweden and Norway. It was like, about fifty degrees in the water up there right now. Yeah. So, are we in a period of warming? I I, I couldn't say that for sure. <laughs> it could be like they did that uh, test, right? With when you put like warm water in the fridge and uh, and cold water in the fridge, and the warm water froze quicker. It kicked the compressor on earlier, so maybe that's happening. I'm guessing it's going to get really cold is what I'm saying. Oh, uh-huh. So what are your dog's names? Is it like on Dasher, on Dancer, on Prancer, on Vixen, and that kind of thing? That's right. They all There's teams for each litter. So this year I had, uh, on Thanksgiving Day, I actually had a litter of puppies. There's four of them. The whole little white one looks like a polar bear, and you know, one looks like a little racing dog, or you know, with a model like a a pie face, or I don't know how you describe it, but a lot of colors and highlights. And uh, so, of course, they have names like you can already guess what their names are being born on Thanksgiving. Pocahontas, no. No, the, they're not oh. Democrats. Okay. <laughs> 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 well, actually, the first thing that came to mind was well, John you know, Smith. But. Mashed potatoes, gravy, uh, <laughs> green bean casserole. Pumpkin pie. So I started off with all uh, Swedish, you know, traditional Swedish names for the dogs. But uh, I try to explain what they were to people, and if you can't uh, roll your R or have like a soft J sound, they're, mm -hmm. they're hard to pronounce. Well, what would what would they be? What would they sound like? What, what are some of them? The dogs now I have are uh, well, we have Geode because his eyes look like a Geode. Mhm. Mm we have uh, Hanson. And uh, Hanson, that's the O. And um, mm -hmm. after a while, you start running low on names. So we have Colby and uh, Dorothy, Supergirl, Lake, um, BC, Little Hanson, uh, Haunt, and uh, Shara. And that's an example of one of the leftover Swedish names. Oh, what? Which one is? Uh, Shara. It's spelled with a K, A with two dots over it, R and an A. Shara. It means uh, 
yeah, sure. I mean, uh, dear one, you might sign a letter like dear sweetheart or something like Hanukkah. Huh, cool. Neat, yeah. And so do you um do you run the dogs competitively? I would say say so. It's a competition just to put them all up and go a few miles up in the way. But uh, yes, I, I think this. I have a lot of talent in my team. or you know mostly a younger team, so uh, I'll definitely be get some races this winter. So what? Do, who do people contact? How do they contact you if they want to go out? And um, do you take people for rides? You bet. Um, you can go to mushalaska.com. Mushalaska.com. Cool. And know that, you know, when you go for a dog sled ride, you can be happy to know that you're actually supporting a online radio program at the same time. <laughs> yeah. And actually, uh, it, it's not a like a big, you know, we're not running buses through. It's uh, We get a chance to meet people and, and talk about their lives and, you know, more than just the tour. Also, uh, everything that happens. Well, and it's beautiful out. I mean, it's this. The surroundings of Fairbanks is just really pretty to be in. It's always uh, uh, it's easy uh, to remember to be grateful. You're out there. Can you repeat that? What did you say? Uh, here in Alaska, uh -huh. it's really easy to uh, remember to be grateful. Oh, because mm -hmm. like when you live in the city, sometimes you're like, oh, this is you know drudgery, or want to get out of here, and you're not really happy with it. So you're not really thankful for the things you might have at that time because. Other things are bothering you. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing I find about Alaska in general is um, you don't have to go far to go. <clears throat> that's really nice, or really, you know, that feels good, or I'm happy to be here right now. It's kind of interesting because when I first came up here to Alaska, I had never experienced such cold. And um, it made me think about different kinds of considerations I've never had to make in my life. And I was almost 40 when I moved up here. And uh, these were things like, you know, better pack up a bunch of clothes in the back of the car and things that you might need if you get stuck. Because if you do get stuck somewhere, there may not be too many other cars going by that could help you, and you may end up having to rely on everything you've got in your car to survive for however long. And so, honestly, I had never thought about survival, my own survival, as much as I do while I'm here. I still think about it all the time. 
How, how am I going to survive? And what that did for me was basically put me in touch with more in touch with reality than I had ever been in touch with it living in a pretty warm, nice, sunny climates of, you know, I'd been in Utah, I'd been, um, we'd lived in Italy and, and Turkey and Germany and Germany's pretty cold, but um, lived all over the world in relatively uh, mild climates without, there weren't, you know, wild animals, many animals that could really, um, that were really pervasive in the places where I lived. So there wasn't a whole lot of thought about survival. But here, it's, we're really in touch with our need to take care of ourselves. And I think that's, um, it kind of goes hand in hand with that grateful attitude too, because you're, you're thinking about it and you're you're actually you are doing it you're surviving you're you're living you you're grateful for every day that you're still you know you're still able to to um you know be be here so and i don't know some some part of that directed us to really start figuring out all this stuff about our status and standing and common law and all those things as well. Um, who we really are. So good. Well, I think in, in one way, when you're out there and on you know, sixty below and lost or <laughs> something greasy, it seems like uh, laws of common law or codes or any of those kind of aren't relevant. So there's a bit of a, a synthesis there, I guess, of great kind of what's important or you know, what you really choose what you want to do instead of maybe what someone else wants you to do for them. Yeah, yeah. You you learn how to stand up on your own two feet, maybe, and and don't you're not subject to what somebody else wants you to be for them. Uh, if I'm if I'm getting your point at all here. So you got it. Uh, Chris mentioned earlier there there are videos now on the Feed the People website uh, regarding the there's actually uh, graphic content of people being burned in California <clears throat> and then rather violent if I can get them uploaded here um, the uh, videos from South Dakota or actually it's two years ago now so. Uh, those are sort of archived there. Sort of, some of them are still on YouTube. Some some of them are missing, and I guess maybe people deleted them or the channels got banned. Or but there are there is a lot of videos on YouTube about the Dapple event. But it wouldn't hurt to go take a look at them. It's pretty interesting to see what actually really happened. And that's on freethepeopleak.com. It is. Okay. Under what do you what do you look under? 
Well, what you yeah, you're right. What you're gonna to want to do is look on the right hand side and if you scroll down there's a bunch of categories. Two uh categories on the bottom are um the war on California and the the final one is the water in South Dakota. I think my brother was there protesting that. I don't remember what the buzzwords were for the protest, but he he went up there. Yeah, there's probably a good chance he was, because at one point there was 14,000 people there. Yeah. Well, his thing is playing guitar and having a kind of a group of people that play the old ways, some of the old uh, Gaelic uh, stuff. Cool. So if, if if there was a group of musicians, I'm sure there were lots of them. He was probably involved in some of that. Yep. So I, I did bring the dog team down there, even though it was just starting to snow. But I wanted to point out that you know they brought the all the all these horses down there, saying, oh, you know, before the cars we had horses. But I think prior to the horses, they actually had dogs. So we're you know people living here on the land or running dogs. Thirty years ago. Yeah. Oh, I thought I just—I thought it'd be kind of neat to bring those kind of, you know, expose my dog team to a bunch of people like that. So that was fun. I bet. Yeah, and that was right. basically a corporate. Um, they were protesting a corporate takeover of land. Well, right, the danger of oil contaminating their water supply where they lived and also the fact that they originally drew the route one way and then decided, oh, let's just put it through the reservation line instead. And then at the last minute, moved everything through there. And that is what they've done. Yeah, they said, oh, we had meetings and blah, 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 you know, but it's not real until they start putting the pipeline through there, so... Yeah. But so that's, was that a Trump thing or what? Um, Trump bragged after signing the paperwork that sent all the military in there and, and the camp was burned down. He bragged that. He didn't, nobody called him about it. There's no big deal. Like, I didn't even get a call. Cheers. South Dakota. Amazing. Huh. And I think it is essentially just a training ground. I think the previous demonstrations kind of gave them a pass, kind of to see what you know you can come up with. You know, they need a job to do, sort of thing. And then with the new president in there, then they can say, "Oh, look at it, we accomplished this, got this going," right, right off the bat. Oh, just a bragging right? Well, yeah, uh, they need something to, you know, talk about. They could have shut the camp down any day of the week. I mean, they had missiles on their humpies, <laughs> you know, the weapons. It was like a, 
what do you call it, a garden and home show? You know, all the different possibilities, different types oh. of pepper spray and force fields. Yeah, the yeah. <laughs> for their uh, telecommunications and then to block the obviously to block the drones from flying around. Mm. So this, you can see one video on here. Guys talking about his drone that he flew towards the camp, then. It got showered with uh, buckshot from a shotgun, and then people were complaining that buckshot were falling on them. So then uh, they saw rubber bullets start flying, you know, and they hit a drone, and it falls to the ground. They go get it and kind of rebuild it. And so finally, they're flying the drone, and it would just drop out of the sky like a dead bird, and realized it was like a pulse weapon. And when they got those back, he said. It couldn't be fixed at all. It's the only ones he couldn't repair. They're completely gone. And that's that weapon that, that Chris was talking about earlier? That no, can't be used. See, people would wear, like, earplugs and, you know, headphones for the sound weapon, but it didn't really help at all. Really Went right through. The LRAD is a sound one, and then the drone, kind of blocking the drone or that would be more like a pulse weapon. Uh, okay, pulse weapon. Um, the, <clears throat> the acoustical range is a much uh, smaller, or uh, the bandwidth is a lot smaller. There's more energy in the other type, I believe. Higher frequency with the EMP weapon. I think they've got a whole bunch of, of big variety, like you said, uh, a whole a whole ver bunch of different secret weapons that they can kind of like the old um, super spy videos where they talk about these great weapons they have because we talk, we've heard about the directed energy weapons that they're using to start fires in California that supposedly they wrote about in some NASA war plan or something that Deborah Tavares talks about. And then a similar type of weapon that Anna talks about, the green, the green um, beam that came down near Big Lake. All kinds of devious weaponry that they are using and are willing to use, whoever these they are are using against uh, what is typically called civilian populations. So and I think, isn't, yeah. Isn't it it's an amazing and incredible thing that everyone doesn't just grab each other's arms and surround the city or whatever needs to be done, you know, to get that story out, to make changes so I think there's a lot coming at us now, and um, yeah, yeah, we need to get the story out. There are people well, doing things. We do have the, you know, we're putting these videos on. They're already online at the people's site, so you know, literally, <coughs> you know, and it could be. 
all made up, but if this video is actual video, you know, it's pretty horrific. Yeah, there's a lot of, well, at least several people that have been on YouTube for quite a while or have been reporting somewhere in the on the Internet on their own servers and their own sites. Um, StopTheCrime.net has been a really good one. Um, and they said that these reports that they had years ago predicted this. The the California. I don't, I'm hearing some coughing back there. I don't know who that is, but if you could mute out. Um. Anyway, um, and then the guy that's doing a plain truth, doing some pretty good reporting from California. Um. And there are several others. Uh, is it the Fullerton report? Is that, is that, have you gotten any information from him? You know, those are all similar uh, uh, things that we're looking at. I'm going to hand you back to Chris. So thanks for talking about dogs. That's pretty fun. All right. Thanks, Drew. Yeah, there was uh, one more. That's uh, from up here in Alaska that's uh, been posting some updates. And um, some of it's been geared uh, towards uh, definitely local Alaska stuff, but with, with the major play in intake. And her name is Cindy Gray. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And she was the one that uh, I saw that had uh, reported on this um, the swelling after the, um, the earthquake here, I guess, a few days ago. There was another um, upwelling out in the Aleutians there that was uh, making some 40 and 50 foot waves. It was a total wave anomaly that was pushing these things. It was really weird. And they were starting to come toward uh, heading in uh, where they would have came inland at um, Anchorage area. And uh, I think even uh, Anna had touched after she had found out about it. Uh, Anna Munright had wrote uh, a little piece and, and spoke about it. Um, these are the same things that happened in Spain just a couple of weeks ago where they caught some 40-foot waves from a wave anomaly like this. Um, and everybody's just kind of scratching their head, where the heck did this come from? Why were there no reports or anything? But, uh, you know, is it one of those things where enough people are catching on that um, they're calling them out as it's happening, so they just kind of let it on the wayside instead of get caught straight up with their pants down because you know, they are starting trying to keep a, a certain amount of um, anonymity in a lot of these events that they're doing with this weather warfare and stuff. I mean, there's still so many of the people, the sheep are asleep, you know, as far as, I mean, they just won't even look up Harvard, David Keith, 2017, Lower Shield. I mean, if people even have question anymore about chemtrails and geoengineering, which is the you know the sterile version of of chemtrails. That's the one they want you to use. Um, they actually just had a report come out on CBS about a week or so ago as well, talking about uh, chemtrails and and geoengineering and geoengineering specifically because that's the term they want. And they said, um, well, but it's about 15 years from them doing this geoengineering, uh, which is absolutely fantastic boss as it's been going for at least 15 years, probably closer to 30. Um, even much longer than that, if you want to talk about cloud seeding it, 
almost as, as soon as they started flying planes, they started cloud seeding. For a long time. Technology's out there. You can look it up with a very simple look up on any of the uh, the patents. Most patents are visible online pretty easily. I mean, you can even pull up the, the Ebola patent um, and see who manages that. You can pull up the, uh, the what was the one that they were having where the, the kids were born with the cephalitis, um, Zika? No? Uh -huh. And you'll see who, what family's name is attached to that that has been controlling and weaponizing or doing whatever they're doing. Definitely not been um, very careful. At the very conservative. Otherwise, we could call it the same thing as they're doing with these weather weapons. They're using biologicals just as well as they're using weather weapons and energy weapons. I think most people now are kind of getting awake about the vaccines because they can see that these are all things being used. used to get yeah. Well, it kind of takes me back to this idea about raising the, raising the right issue and not raising the proper argument that's fatal. I'm sorry, I don't know why I ever get that. You cut out a little bit there, Maria. Yeah. Uh, I don't know why I was getting an echo back on that one, but but it kind of brings you back to that idea that if you don't raise the proper argument that you are it's a fatal fatal mistake. And instead of just being uh, legally fatal. Now these things are actually fatal. Really? So I, I've been thinking a lot. Of, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to make one one word, and everybody's probably heard this term: um, death by association. And what that really may mean, you know. Because we know these, these people that are the supposed governments that are service corporations are actually ran as, as associations. So death by association is absolutely what's happening. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I... I was thinking about the difference between your, you know, your your claim that you made for your land up there, and your particular type of political affiliation that you're not a citizen, that you're you've taken those names and put them back on the land and corrected your status and things like that and sent notices of liability. I I think all of those things. I mean, it's just paperwork. But I think all of those things are reasons why um, nobody's coming out there at, and to try to to try to push you off at gunpoint. Right. And it has to, I, I it has to do with. Go ahead. Oh, I, I was going to say I think it's very possible. Yeah. It has to do with how you're, you're defining yourself and what you're agreeing to, it seems like. And I've been thinking a lot about this data collection. I've been watching Bill Binney a lot, <clears throat> thinking about the NSA taking everything. And 
that is and and Bill's Bill has a, a particular problem with the Real ID Act. How um, the the research that we've been aware of has shown that the state of Alaska took your biometric data and sold it and sent it off to a company called Gemalto in the Netherlands. And we know that. And they did that without people's knowledge or consent. And that was very, very recently. And if you think about this, both the metadata or the, the, the electronic data, our conversations, everything that we create as property and your biometric data as property, and you realize that you've got to raise the argument of being deprived your life, liberty, or property by without due process. And I think there's a due process claim. I think I think we have a good due process violations claim against NSA. You know, every you single one of us. You can just live. Yeah, well, at least we know NSA built Bluffdale in our in Bill's actually Bill's home state. Well, sort of his home state, the state he was born on. In Utah, they put that big facility to take everything, and then we've got a real credible source, the information Bill Binney, who who created the program FinThread just to take what they needed in order to stop terrorism. But under the guise of stopping terrorism, they changed, they flipped that on its head and decided to take everything. Well, that means every single one of us was de deprived of property without due process. And if we don't, if we know this and we don't put in a claim and just let it go, there's no pain for them. They don't lose anything. You know, you know. There's. Um, I was listening to uh, Able Danger a little bit, and they've they've had a little bit of change up. You know, David Hawkins is doing some a few things um, out on his own, uh -huh. but Phil um, uh, McConnell now has a gentleman by the name of Gobsmack, is what he goes by, Gordon, and he's um, from. I think he's in the UK. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. I can't speak highly enough, and and I know for a fact that uh, Anna has got um, kind of a meeting of the minds going on with him and, and a couple of other people. Uh, they had actually mentioned it on, on their show from yesterday. But one of the things Gobsmack had mentioned um, about the common law and, and claims is that if you go into your public notice board of your paper, one of the simple ways is he, he's saying is for four weeks you run an ad saying, I, man, woman, whatever, um, reclaim by right, and I no longer, I sever all contracts from the minute of my birth onward. Uh, you know, not necessarily in that language, but you get the gist. It needs mm -hmm. to run for four weeks. And that right there should give you all the political uh, dis, uh, dissemination or, or separation that, that um, we should have to claim. And, um, you know, we've kind of been talking about that too. Is you know, we got that classified section. We're trying to get up here for public notices on the website, and um, you know, we would be proud to try to list um, list that for people. Anybody that may would like to use that service, you know, maybe a, a little donation to help us keep the the, the paper going and, and keep this going uh, would be wonderful because 
four weeks at I know a normal rate here, it would probably cost a couple of thousand dollars to run a public notice for four weeks. You know, most people yeah, can't it, afford that. I think, I, yeah, they charged us about $250 each time, I think, when we did ours. So, you know, I, I would love to offer that for um, anybody that may listen to this or, or anybody they may share it with. We will be honored to publish that on our website um, for you. All right, we'll be your first. We'll we'll be your first ones to donate because the ones I want to put up are the ones I just. Uh, recently did to correct my status. I want it on the public. Um, basically, I want it in the public. And we've hit the, uh, um, the status where we've, we've been considered a credible news source as far as the re reporting requirements, but realistically, it just boils down to are you a news service that you know acts honorably and does the right thing. So yes, we, we met all the requirements as of almost a year ago. So the circulation, uh, um, the duration, the um, support, and things like that. So the things that they use for a marker within a business construct of, of their idea of what regulates a news um, paper or agency. So what what did Gobsmack say should be in this notice that he was recommending? Can you just repeat that again? I didn't quite get it. Yeah, right. He had mentioned basically that um, you are taking back and canceling all contracts that may have been done um, honorably or on dishonorably against you since the, um, the unknowledgeable and willful surrender by your parents at birth onward. You know, that they oh. did it out of uh, ignorance and that um, you're correct in the record basically and that you do not honor any contract whatsoever with any corporation whatsoever um, along those lines. Um, maybe what I'll do is try to um, pull it up, the website uh, or, or the, uh, the actual thing and um, maybe a website somehow. Uh, I can post the link to the show that it was on and um, yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah, it was on um, on Able Danger recently. Yeah, I'll I'll pull it up and I'll I'll, I'll give the name of it um, in particular. It was the one from twelve three twenty eighteen. It says Gobsmack and Phil McConnell, and um, yeah, twelve three twenty eighteen. Gobsmack and Phil McConnell. And I want to say it was about 50, 45 or 50 minutes into it. It's kill I would listen to the whole thing. In fact, I listened to it about once and a half already. But um, this guy is incredible. And I, I pray one day I get to sit with these guys either around a bonfire in Texas or, or drink a pint with them in, in uh, England or something. I mean, these guys are, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Some of them, you know, it's just, well, Phil McConnell, how many years has he been out there sticking his neck out and, Wow. Yeah, he's incredibly honorable. He doesn't worry about his own his own safety, and he's just funny. Just, he says he's not going to die one minute before God allows him to die. And he was speaking recently at a hotel somewhere, and we were listening to it a couple days ago. And there were two guys in there that wanted him dead, and he kept talking about them. 
And he kept saying, I know who you are, oh. and I know you want me dead, and I don't care. But he ID'd yep, up. Yep, that was uh, Operation Classified. You can find that on YouTube. It was Operation Classified was the name of it. It was a talk given by John B. Wells. He put it together, him and his wife, who is a, a South African native. And um, the, so it, the, the benefit, the, mon, the monetary benefit of everybody donated their time to raise money for General Flynn, I believe. Was it General Flynn? They raised the money for it. And so they've got some killer speakers. If y'all have not heard just even the introduction by John Wells, it's well worth the listen. I think it's you know maybe 15 or 20 minutes. But and then it goes on. You can catch the link for uh, Phil McConnell as well behind there. And I think there's more and more starting to come out. Jason Goodman did a good round. Um, the day, I guess it was during the middle of it. He had about three or four or five different people on there and did a round table. That was just incredible. Oh. I think it had like Rob Ritz and Steele, uh, several of the, the big names, people that were CIA, FBI, the people in the know. And and I thought that was pretty incredible. That was one of my favorite things I've seen Jason Goodman do, I think. I sure do like his show. And I have been on the John B. Wells show, uh, Caravan to Midnight, and he has asked me to keep in touch with him. So maybe we can get him on our show. Oh, That'd that be good. Wonderful. Anything to hear yep. his voice, and uh, it's it's always nice to talk to a fellow Texan, you know, me being born there and all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it'd be good to um, it'd be good to get on and get some exposure on what has happened to you up here. He's real interested in Alaska, and so it'd be really interesting to talk <clears throat> about what's going on with Elodial uh, patents, um, things like that up here. So what you've done and it would be good to expose his audience to um Anna's status correction documents as well i don't know that most of his folks really follow her i i think sure there's overlap but he has a good size audience um so that would be really good too uh the the other thing i wanted to mention real quick before we close out is that um, we're doing on foundations that the other show on this channel um, we're doing a status correction series of conversations with Patrick and his father Mike from Michigan who've been studying status correction for last common law type issues and status correction for the last 10 years and this next one coming up that we haven't scheduled yet um, it'll be available for, to download but it's following the citizenship diagrams that are on SEDM.org. And what this citizenship diagram does is shows you what your, um, it takes you through the US code and, and shows what the various types of statuses are for Americans. And it's, you know, it's searchable in the public record in the code. So that people don't have to wonder if it's, you know, if it's true or not. We're going to point right out in in uh, in the code what these different statuses are. So that one's going to be pretty cool coming up. Um, I'd say in the next, it'll be available for download in the next couple weeks here, and we'll do three or four of these status correction courses, and then we'll have a live show where people. Are invited to come in and ask questions and make clarifications. 
I'm looking forward so to when that. It's, when it's available, I'll let people know. What's that? Nice. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I really can't wait to hear. Cool. Yeah, and there is one that we did. We did one last um, last Sunday night, and it's available for download now. It's called uh, Status Correction. I, I can believe. Can you tell people again um, where? Can you tell people again where to find it? If you just go to TalkShoe.com and hit the Browse button, it's a big orange button on the left-hand side at the top, and just uh, look under Foundations. And there's also some really good ones, um, Gus on Gus on Walls. If you want to brush up on common law and understand a good part of what we're talking about when we discuss common law, um, he he does about an hour and a half on Terry Dodd's show Walls in Our Minds. Just just go through that one. That one's great, and it's it's pretty good. Uh, it's not it's not boring. It's pretty exciting the whole time. So. And just just go to go to browse on Talkshoe and hit and go search foundations and it's there. <clears throat> and that one is kind of the one where we're going to be putting. I'll probably put um, part of a clipped recording from tonight's show on just on the foundations on the common law and arrest and just have that there. It's just a place for people to go to get the basic principles. Um, and hopefully they're pretty quick compact discussions that you can brush up on things uh, quickly. Thanks. One quick thing I wanted to about the oh. uh, the DAPL, um, there, some of the videos that got uploaded. One thing you're going to find as the common thread, um, common thread, is most of these people, the, the native and the and, uh, other white guys and whoever it is that may be there that are, are representing, they're all talking the common law. Every one of them, they're talking common law, common rights. And it's just going to, I think it'll really blow a lot of people away to see and hear exactly what we're here for. I mean, this is what we're here for. This is why, you know, we thought it was forward, important to bring this forward, the common law. And this is exactly what they were doing in North Dakota. And there's a, I think there's quite a few people out there that understand that, and maybe not nearly as many um, recognize that the natives probably understand it way more than we do. Yep, yep. Yep, but we all need to help each other. But yeah, that's, that's wonderful to hear because, yeah, you, the only way that the common law has ever been made part of a country is that the the people fight for it, and you really can't fight for it until you under until until you know what you're talking about, basically. I, I, th I think an easy way to say it is anybody wearing loafers or a suit is persona non grata and they need to get the hell out of the way. <laughs> anyway, is, I, I think you, we're going to open up for more questions. Is, there, is Chuck on the line? Yeah, I'm here. There he is. 
Yes, uh, well, I've been just sitting here uh, listening and uh, trying to put it all together. And, uh, I've been doing drinking. But... I don't think he gets any uh, hallucinations, etc., when he's drinking, but he certainly does when he's on the antidepressant drug. But I think he's he's telling the people there that. Pardon me? I think he told the doctor there that. You think he told the doctor that? Okay. All right. Sorry, Chuck. I think um, I think we're all set now. Go ahead. Well, actually, I don't have much to say here tonight. I am working on this predicament that I'm in, and um, I think I've formulated how I'm going to, or say about eight things, and. Um, with this driver's license driving business with my right to drive or correction uh, got to get over that idea that they got us uh, drilled into our heads that we're driving an automobile which is what they of course immediately use against you um, but traveling in my uh, automobile or uh, from point A to point B transporting my property so at any rate, uh, yeah, I will more than likely maybe give you a call tomorrow and run what I put down past you and uh, see what you think of it. It's about four different, uh, four or five different ideas. So, okay, and I don't know how else to inform people about what I'm doing. Um, or, or the predicament I'm in being I was charged with damaging my own property, which sounds like an oxymoron to me, but, um, well, at, at any rate, it's it's ongoing, and i got a few days yet. Um, I have a court date coming up in early January, and uh, see what happens between now and then. Okay, and um, but at any rate, I, uh, I maybe I'll call you tomorrow and uh, talk, run this past you a little bit again, Maria. Do you have any questions for me? Well, we I just wanted to say we were um, wanted to make a little bit of an effort to set aside time for you to talk to Peter if he was on, but he he did not come on tonight. He went on to Gus's show. I guess oh, Gus okay. had a show. And I don't know if it was common law or health or, or what, but I guess we can download that off of um, off of common law word nerds and find out what they talked about tonight. Um, so what what it was is, you know, his situation was quite different than yours. He was talking about um, he was talking about. Uh, an occupancy permit, whereas you're talking about uh, answering to charges that you put a piece of paper over your VIN number and, and such like charges that um, 
that the troopers claim, you know, they have the ability to 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 uh, to, to create against you these charges. And so I just wanted to give you a little bit of time and find out if there was anybody if if anybody else on the call had suggestions or if you know if Peter had been here if he had had suggestions for you and how how to how to go about this and answer yeah, you these don't... things or 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 as Wendell had brought up at one time he thought it made sense not to argue with not to legitimize these people by arguing with them and, and or defending yourself. Yes, unfortunately, uh, if I don't do something, uh, I think we pretty much know what the end result of this will be. And uh, uh, well, hey, one of the things, yeah, what the end result of this will be is, I, you know, I have to do something. It isn't like I can. Uh, uh, pull the blankets up over my head and hope the boogeyman ain't out there, but the boogeyman is out there. And so, um, but one of the things that's really finally hit on my head here sometime today, the, um, the similarity between Peter's case and my case is very simply property. And of course, with him, what his property was, and uh, with me, the property is my uh, automobile, and so, and my right to travel. So there's a lot of lot, lot of parallel there. And I just had to change it to the writing to be. To fit my my situation, okay. Yep, yep, and and most uh, basic common law actions are basically trespass on property. So, mm -hmm. um, in property in, and trespass, it's trespass on on your property. Somebody trespassed upon your your property. Yes. So. And I think that yeah. was a trespass. I still haven't figured out why, but um, oh, I know what they think their power is, but unfortunately, is it's power. There's no authority involved. Okay. So, yeah, and, and I, I I agree with that. Did you hear any of the um, the beginning of the show on the treatise on arrest and false imprisonment? No, I didn't. Uh, I did not. I didn't come on and start listening until about ten minutes of six. Okay, so we were finished with running through the common law and arrest and and false imprisonment. Um, uh -huh. So, so it just changes your perspective when you start looking at it from this angle. You're not looking at it from this idea that you're you're out there on the, in the public and they've caught you at doing something wrong what you're looking at is uh, you the man who created their everything that they are who's basically the creator 
in that system is you have you have property and because of their profit motive they they trespass your property and they're really trying for the low hanging fruit so what this does if you read this treatise on arrest that would be my that'd be my best recommendation to do that before like through the month of December start figuring out what that treatise on arrest sounds like or what uh -huh. it what it says yes so I've read it know, twice already oh you have okay okay yes. so do you know Which that the, when you when you're when you put your claim before the court that you're a victim of false imprisonment that you were made that you were falsely arrested and imprisoned do you know that the burden oh. of proof shifts to them right right um, yeah I was uh, listen to something by Bill Fortin on that uh-huh and, and uh, yeah the uh, the claim of oh yeah what I was listening to was or uh, reading was just the thing on um, a writ of habeas corpus uh -huh. and and because you, you put it on the other shoe that they the they have got to prove that you don't belong in your own court and so I think that's where that's where I, I got this from um, okay all right that's not how I read it. the way I read it is that if you've got a claim of arrest and false imprisonment it's the burden of proof for them if you claim that you were arrested it was a false arrest and imprisonment they have to make it clear on the record that they had probable cause that a felony was about to be committed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, and also that's sort of like the basic principle of uh, the writ of habeas corpus. Yeah, it is. is yeah, it, it, mm -hmm. You know, it's it, false. You've been, and it's not called false imprisonment. There, it's called. Uh, vindictive prosecution and uh, with meaning that you, they have you in the wrong court so okay but at any rate I am working on it Maria and uh, hopefully I'm going to uh, get this all um, done here maybe by at least the end of next week have this thing uh, filed. I'm going to file it on demand. I'm going to file it by mail and uh, return receipt, registered letter, return receipt, and uh, on demand. And hopefully, well, I'll just have to put it in there and let's see if they suddenly put it in the mail and send it back to me again, just like they did some of your stuff. Okay? Mm. Yep, that sounds like a plan. Okay, I don't know how it's going to work until they react to it. Okay, and I'm thinking, trying to think of 
who to send copies of this to. And, um, you know, basically, I don't think this claim has really got a, a, a sort of like a real name to it. Oh, yes. Well, a response. But at any rate, it's a response to the uh, false imprisonment. And um, that happened on, what was it, the 14th of August of uh, this year. So we'll just have to see what the heck their reaction is going to be. And then I'll have to maybe go down there and actually go in and talk to the clerk of courts directly and say, this is file on demand. Okay? Well, and the other the other aspect that I think is really important in your situation right now is that you've offered to settle it in private as yes. long as as they give you the name and address of the man that you've harmed. Yes, that was the first um, claim that I made with the help of a few other people helped me formulate how to write it. And I did send that off to the court and to the prosecutor and to the governor, who is no longer governor, the ombudsman and, uh, the, and the uh, interior delegation of the House and, and U.S. My correction of the state, House, and Senate. And so um, I'm trying to put together an idea on who I would send this new one to because it will be, will be more complete and more in more detail and they will get the drift of what I'm trying to do uh, more readily rather than it just being a simple statement about the claim of being willing to settle the case in the private. So, uh, All oh, right, yeah, well, if there, oh. if there aren't any other suggestions, people on the line that have suggestions to help you, then I think um, we probably ought to um, just talk offline if you, if you want to run that stuff by me tomorrow. Um, yes, and one one other thing I might add here is um, there the uh, the the Seekins, the, uh, the judge here, has put out a, uh, forced me to take a public pretender, a public defender, and so and their intention, of course, is to stop me from uh, putting filing papers in, in my court. So, um, but that is one of the things I'm up against, and that's why I am doing the filing on demand. So as I can get around that. Okay? Yep, yep. Okay. Well, and and there is another aspect of it that you have corrected your 
You've recently done your status correction. You filed a notice, um, a rescission yes, of all your prior powers of attorney. Yes, I, I've uh, published all nine of, or filed all nine of them documents for expatriation. And this is going to be a test of how useful those documents are that are recommended by Anna because. Um, Chris has filed those, and I believe that's what's stopping his uh, armed agents from coming to his land. Um, I have not corrected my status, and you have just only recently informed these public entities that you've corrected yours. And so between now and January, when you're supposed to be um, run through the system, if a change, uh, you know, if a major change comes and they decide not to pursue this, I think it's going to be a testament to what um, status correction, uh, yes. how effective it is. Yes, and also if, uh, if push comes to serve, uh, shove on that, I'm going to require a status hearing. Uh -huh. and and uh, and then of course one is the hearing that I want is a um, standing. What's your standing in the court? The only thing that uh, Seekins has been able to come up with so far is the fact that he showed me a uh, he has his uh, oath signing of his oath uh, in a picture frame, and that's. You know, that's very nice, but uh, I can do at least three of them myself now. But I don't think that oath alone means that I can put on a black robe and sit in the high chair and uh, run the court. Okay? That's the only thing I got out of him as far as standing is concerned. At one time, I challenged the standing of the prosecutor and... Um, he just basically turned his back to me. So, okay, well, there's just things that I might just have to go through here, different hearings, okay? Okay, and again, I invite anyone who has suggestions for you to, to speak up now or we're going to go ahead and close out this call. Um, also, I would invite uh, any other questions or clarifications on anything we've talked about tonight. Well, I don't have any, and uh, I'll tell you where I'm at, Maria. I'm going to go outside and burn a cigarette. Okay, y'all? Talk with you later. Uh, okay. Thanks, Chuck. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. And other than that, I think we're ready to close down for tonight. Has anybody else got anything? I just want hey. to make a reminder. <laughs> If uh, anybody's listening, uh, the, the, your journal assembly, uh, seek them out, join them, volunteer, spend a few minutes, and let's get this thing on the way. Um, let's, let's come at this every angle we can. Good point. If you want to be involved in the Alaska Journal Assembly, send me an email. Rensel at Reagan.com. I'm the state coordinator right now.
So just let me know you want to be counted in our numbers, and uh, we'll we'll get the information out to you. We are going to meet once monthly tomorrow night. So we do have a meeting tomorrow night. Um, we'll start out on the national call like we usually do, and uh, and then we'll have our call at 7 o'clock Alaska time. So just write to me, rental at Reagan.com, if you need any information on how to get on that call. And uh, other than that, we will talk to you guys then. I know. All right. Bye-bye. Good night. God bless you guys.